Today's reading is Psalm 51, 1 through 12. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You please pray with me. God, this psalm brings up uh, emotions of, of guilt. It's a, it's, a, it's a prayer of guilt, Lord, and that's a difficult emotion to deal with. It can be troublesome, um, and it's a tender topic. And God, as we, we dive into the scripture to see what you say through your word in this passage, we ask that you would always keep us uh, remembering your grace, that there is, is no guilt that is too great that you cannot forgive or remove, that your grace is far, far greater than our guilt, and that your love is far, far greater than any, anything that we can do to try to remove ourselves from you. Be with us now, Lord. Open our minds, our hearts, and our ears to hear and receive what you have to give us through this message today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. There are, there are two stories that most people know about King David, who is attributed as the author of this psalm. Two big ones that almost everybody knows. The first is David and Goliath. You know, everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, even if you didn't grow up in the church, because we use it as a sports metaphor all the time. You know, the scrappy ragtag team against the elite, you know, polished dynasty with all the expensive equipment. And yet still, like those underdogs, they do it. That's a, that's a David and Goliath kind of story. You know, that's, that, that's what we use in, in sports metaphors or business, you know, the, the startup from their garage, you know, taking on like the Facebooks and Google of the world. It's this little shepherd versus the giant, giant. And yet the little guy slays the big guy. And it's the story of triumph. You know, that's a story that we hear about King David quite a bit. But the second story that most people know that's pretty prominent in David's life is the story of David and Bathsheba. And that's what this psalm is written about. It was written after that experience. And this story, which is not a story of triumph, it is a story of what's probably considered David's greatest failure. King David is up on the, the porch, the upper area of his palace in the city of Jerusalem, and he's looking down and he sees a woman bathing in the privacy of her own home. And he does what a lot of rich influential, powerful, entitled men do, 
is he summoned her to his palace and he forced himself upon her and she became pregnant. This, this is something that uh, is considered one of David's greatest failures in life. And not only does he do this, but he tries to cover it up by having her husband killed. And yet this plot gets exposed and David's guilt, his shame, the things that he has done are brought into the light. And, this, and Psalm 51 is the result of that. This is his cry of guilt. This is his prayer after recognizing the terrible thing that he has just done. Uh, Psalm 51 is the cry of a man racked with guilt. And it uses this evocative, powerful, like tangible imagery that sometimes gets dulled in translation. So it, in Psalm 51, where it's talking about wash me and I will be made clean. This isn't just like run a gentle trickle water, trickle of water over me to, you know, wash off the dirt. This is, this is like a scrub kind of wash. This is like a rub away the dirt on your face kind of thing or smudge out kind of wash. It's this like tangible, like get this off of me kind of wash, not a gentle trickle. It's a touch skin to skin, make me clean. When he says things like, surely I was sinful at birth, it could literally be translated as, surely I was twisted by sin from birth. There's this twisting going on. There's this powerful imagery. He says, let the bones that have been crushed rejoice. He says that, that the sacrifices God wants are a broken spirit, which could also mean a spirit that has been burst to pieces or, or that God wants a contrite heart. You know, this is a heart that has been broken and shattered. These are all of the kind of, of images tied into the language that David is using. And maybe as you heard Psalm 51 read, there's a part of you that could relate. You know, a part of you that's like, oh yeah, I'm, I know what that feels like. <laughs> I know what it feels like to make a big mistake and, and feel awful about it afterwards. You know, I know what it's like to hurt somebody and then realize what I've done. It's a painful place to be. It's a hard thing to carry. But maybe when you hear Psalm 51, it actually is a reminder of what makes you uncomfortable with religion. You know, there's a lot of folks who think that religion is all about feeling bad, you know, all the time. That Christians are, are just folks who beat themselves up. You know, and just to, to be a Christian means that you just have to have really low self-esteem and just be like, oh, I'm nothing but a worthless sinner all the time. And, you know, being a Christian means never feeling like you're good enough, you know, or, or just feeling depressed all the time. You know, folks are like, why would I want to do that? You know, when I read things like this or I see uh, and hear Christians talk about like, you know, oh, I'm just worthless. You know, why, why is that appealing? Why would I want to be somebody who relates to Psalm 51? I don't want that. And I think this kind of understanding of, of religion and, and sin uh, comes from this idea that sin is something that we do. You know, both the, the non-religious person and the hyper-religious person often see sin as an action-based thing. Sin is when you do the wrong thing. Sin is bad behavior. You know, and you can see that when sin is used in the language that says like, oh, he, he sinned greatly 
or he like committed a big sin. They're like those people, they're living in sin. This kind of language reemphasizes this idea that sin is something bad that you do. And some think that being a Christian just means avoiding these bad things, not doing the wrong thing. That's what like being a Christian is all about is avoiding sin, not try, trying as hard as you can not to do the bad stuff. But in reality, sin is much, much more about what we want than it is about what we do. Sin is a lot more about what we want than it is about what we do. Th think of it like a, a garden bed. You know, say you've got a garden bed that's full of weeds. You could go at it with uh, some, a garden shears or a weed whacker and you could trim all the weeds right off the top, you know, just hack them all off. And uh, does that solve the problem? <laughs> if you have ever gardened for more than one season, then you know, no, it doesn't. Because those weeds are just going to pop right back up because the root system is still there. With sin, the actions that you see, the, the behavior that comes about is what's on the surface. That's the shoots coming up from the, from the soil. But the roots of sin is what we want. That's, that's what sin is, is, is really getting at. That's what this passage is getting at. That's what Christianity in, in really thinks what sin is. Sin is what's at the root. It's not the surface level behavior. It's the desire that's underneath it. And that's what this passage is getting to. It's getting to the heart. It's not getting to the behavior. It's not worried about the surface stuff. It's getting to the thing underneath that's causing that surface stuff. The root of sin is the fact that our hearts are always turned inwards. We want what we want. We want what's going to make us happy. You know, when, when David says, surely I was sinful at birth, he's saying that from the moment we are born, we always have a preference for our desires to be met, not concerning ourselves with what's going on with others or going on with the world around us. We always want what is going to make me happy. And if I'm given the choice between my happiness and your happiness, my heart is always going to be inclined towards my happiness. That's where the root is. The root is that our love that we have, love that's meant to be pointed outwards, you know, love that's meant to be given to others, has been twisted, has been turned inwards on ourselves so that now we love ourselves more. Now we want our happiness more. Sin is the twisting of love from being something that's outward oriented, twisting it back to be something that's inward oriented. And it's from this desire that the roots of sin spread and then the shoots of behavior and action spring out of that root system. This kind of selfish love is, is not how our hearts were meant to function. And when we end up loving the wrong things, we end up hurting ourselves. When we end up loving the wrong things, we end up hurting others. And the story of David is a perfect example of that. You know, we read Psalm 51 and we can see the pain that he is experiencing because of his own sin. But we also see the pain that it causes everybody around him. I mean, we see David's pain in Psalm 51, but can you imagine Bathsheba's pain? Losing her husband, being assaulted, <laughs> losing the child that comes about from this. 
sin doesn't just affect the person who's doing it. it there's ripple effects. It, it's, it's a cycle of damage and pain and brokenness. And that's why it's, it's something that needs to be addressed. That's why we need to talk about sin. And we need to talk about it in a way that's healthy. That's not just talking about stop sinning, you know, control your actions, get, get your behavior in line. No, it's about understanding where is that desire coming from? Why is that there? What's going on? And I think most of us can recognize that. You know, we, <laughs> uh, if you've ever asked yourself, like after doing something wrong, why did I do that? You know, say, say you say something hurtful to your spouse or your friend, and then afterwards you're like, why did I say that? That's not what I want to do. I want to be somebody who helps others. I want, I love this person. I want them to be happy. Why am I doing this thing that's ending up hurting them? And we see this kind of strange insanity of sin articulated in Romans 7. We went over this in our, in our men's Bible study a couple weeks ago, Wednesday nights at 7, from 7 to 8.30 on Zoom, if you want to join men's Bible study, little plug. Uh, and in Romans 7, it talks about sin like this. It's saying, uh, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Yeah, it's a little confusing, but now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. Have you ever felt that frustration? Like, yeah, I, I want to do what's good, but, <laughs> but I keep on doing the things that I don't want to do. Why is this? this? This keeps leading into more and more brokenness and pain. We see that when we love the wrong thing, we always, always end up with a broken heart. And this is where the gospel meets us. Because this is, this is the good news, is that when our hearts are broken, <laughs> all it does is make a wider entrance for God's spirit to come in and start setting things right. When our hearts are broken open, it's only making an opening for God to come in and start setting things right. It's like God's spirit enters into our broken hearts when we, when we come to him and say, God, my, with the prayer that David prayed, you know, my heart is broken. Here I am, a crushed person before you. Create in me a new heart, O oh God. God enters in through the brokenness, and it's like he starts pulling out the weeds from the roots this time. You know, he's getting his hands dirty in the garden bed of our hearts, pulling out the weeds, root and stem, and in their place starts planting seeds of love, of patience, of kindness. Now, instead of having this garden bed that's overflowing with these nasty weeds, we get a garden bed that's overflowing with fruit and flowers. Things that are beautiful and life-giving. When our hearts are broken open, it just makes a wider entrance for God to come in and do his transforming work. The Christian life is not about trying to improve your behavior and impress God with how little you sin. It's not about behavior management. It's not about doing enough right things. The Christian life is about giving our broken hearts to Jesus. Uh-oh. We just lost your audio a little bit, Josiah.
Am I back? Oh, no. No, you guys just all missed the best part. Shoot. Well, too bad. Let's see. Where where did uh where did I lose you? I'm sorry. Like two sentences ago. Two sentences? Yeah. Did you guys hear about that that uh, the Christian life is not about improving our behavior? There you go. Right there. There you go. Cool. There we go. We're back. We're back. Ditching the headset. Yeah, it's not about trying to impress God with how little we sin. That's not at all what it's about. If you do this, you're just going to be pulling up weeds without addressing the roots, and you're going to work forever. Because until that root system is gone, you're going to have endless work in front of you. No, the Christian life is about giving our broken hearts to Jesus. It's about giving our, our bodies that feel... Ooh, oh my, there's a lot of... Today's a tech day. <laughs> uh, the Christian life is about giving our broken bodies to Jesus. The, the pain that we feel in our body, even though we know something's going on inside, we can feel it on the outside. And we're able to do this because Jesus literally had his body stretched and torn for you on the cross. Jesus literally had his heart pierced and broken for you so that your heart could be mended and healed. And we see that by his wounds, we have been healed. That's the good news of the gospel, that our broken hearts and, and our hurting bodies can find healing and, and new life in Jesus. Psalm 51 and Romans 7 are, are good examples of what the sin cycle looks like. You know, it's, it's this pain on the inside. It's this insanity on the outside. Uh, but thankfully, Romans 7 is followed by Romans 8, which the very first verse tells us that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. So in him, all of that guilt that gets expressed in Psalm 51 is taken away. In, in Jesus, our old hearts that wanted the wrong thing again and again and again is made new. In Jesus, we are taught to love the right things instead of the wrong things. We are taught to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. In Jesus, we finally learn what it means to really love our neighbor as ourself. That's what a new heart looks like. Instead of being twisted inwards, it's now genuinely pointing out the way it's supposed to, towards God and towards our neighbor. Your heart needs to be broken so that Jesus can come in. It's a hard thing to face. But also, if you understand the gospel of grace, then you see, too, that your heart needs to be broken so Jesus can come out. In this strange way, we see it in Psalm 51. He's talking about his heart being broken, but then he's also talking about, I will show transgressors your ways. I will teach others what I have learned through this process. When our hearts are broken, Jesus can come in, but also when our hearts are broken, the good news of the gospel can come out. You can share with others the story of your broken heart, because now it's no longer a story of pain and failure. Now it's a story of redemption, that through this brokenness, Christ came in and set things right. And you can talk with your friend who, who is experiencing pain. You can talk with your friend who's experiencing confusion. You can talk with somebody who, who asks the question, like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I keep on doing the wrong thing. 
I don't know what's going on. You can share with them and say, hey, I know what that's like. <laughs> I've been there. This is where it led me. It led me to this broken heart. But let me tell you what else, that through that brokenness, that's where Jesus came in. And that's where things started to turn around. That's where the weeds started to get pulled up. And that's where these new seeds were planted. That's why I'm able to feel joy. That's why I'm able to feel peace. That's why I'm able to love the way that I'm supposed to. Our hearts need to be broken so Jesus can come in. And our hearts are also broken so that Jesus can come out. Please pray with me. God, we are people with broken hearts. And it hurts. Thank you for giving us uh, the Psalms to pray this pain. That we can articulate it and that we can, it can give word to the thing that we're feeling inside. And thank you so, so much for your son who has come to mend our broken hearts, who has come to heal them and to set them right. God, help us not to be afraid to open them up to you, to open our hearts for you to enter in and set things right. Lord, get your hands dirty. <laughs> Pull up the weeds from the root and start to plant your seeds of love and patience and goodness, seeds of gentleness and peace in our hearts. So that also through the openings of our heart, these seeds may be poured outwards, that love may be directed where it needs to go so that we can be your people in this world, that, that we can share the healing and the new life that we've received from you. We can share that with those around us. In your name we pray. Amen.